Thank you so much, worship team. Isn't it good to be able to gather together in the name of the Lord and worship? All right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. Hey, when I first started ministry, I started as a youth pastor. Um, some of you know that, some of you don't. Some of you are praying for me at this moment for my insanity that ensued. That was before. Um, loved working with kids. I did that for 10 years, junior high and high school, and I just loved it. But a big part of the, of the ministry was being absent from home uh, at camps. I did junior high camps and high school camps, and you know we would go to Ensenada for a week, Mexico, and work with uh, underprivileged youth and just... Just different things that we would do and then um, just a lot of stuff. It ended up being about four to six weeks out of the year that I was gone. Um, and some of you are like, oh, that's no big deal. I've gone eight weeks. Yeah, but for me, that was hard. I, I mean, just me personally, I didn't like being away from my family. A big part of that was I have the greatest wife in all the world and I didn't want to leave her. Um, <laughs> I love her very much. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I personally just really liked my kids. Um, and I didn't want to leave them. And, and I had four little, little guys, um, little, little girls and little guy. Um, I had three in 18 months, which was very difficult. Uh, don't remember that first year. And some of you are doing the math. I had twins, so that was why. Um, but, uh, but, and then we had our little guy a couple years later, but all of them under four, uh, and I would leave for like a week. And one time, this one calendar year, I was gone two consecutive weeks in a row. Just how it worked. And I just remember it was very difficult. Uh, at first it was, it was awesome, because I'm like, yay, I'm free! Um, <laughs> I've got, uh, you know, 60 junior high kids and whatever, and this is easy compared to my little guys at home. But um, it, after a couple days, I started, like, remembering how much I love them. I don't know if you've been there. And, and I'm like, I miss them so much. I miss them running into my room and jumping on the bed and just being like, hey, wake up at like five in the morning. And, and, I, and, and I missed just praying for them at night. And I just, I started to remember them so much so that I started to get almost, have you ever been homesick to the point where it hurts? Any, anybody been there? I mean, I, like my stomach would hurt. And every time people were like, hey, Chris, how you doing? I miss my kids. You know, I just like, you know, it would just come out. And, and I had, and I remember... First of all, because of those two weeks, I made sure after that I moved in the calendar that I would never be gone more than a week at a time because that was just so much. And then I used to purpose, like I remember just thinking about them going, when I get back, I am going to be ultra dad. Like, I'm going to be super dad. Like, dad to the 26th power. Like, Bill Cosby with even better sweaters and, and, and more, you know, like, jello cups than you know what to do with as I'm giving them out to the kids, you know? So I was going to be really, like, awesome dad. And I just remember thinking that. And I'm like, I can't wait to get home so I could be an awesome dad. And, and I just, re- the, the thing that kind of reminds me, I guess, of this is, is I was thinking about just the idea of remembering and what that did to my actions later. Um, you see, we have a God that many, many, many thousands of years ago, he invited all people to come to him. You see, he, was, he, he met Moses on the mountain, but the crazy thing about that story in the book of Exodus is he leads his people and he says, come up and meet me. And all the people were like, ah, no, we're good. Because like one look and we're going to die. We're afraid. We'll just send Moses. <laughs> and so Moses went up there and, and heard from God how much he cared about the people that stayed down the mountain. 
And see, many, many years later, you fast forward and you keep going and these people were like, they, you know what, God's good, but we want them up there and we're down here and we're going to try to get up there sometimes and get back down. And that's just not good enough for God. Because God remembers His people so much that He sent His one and only Son down the mountain. See, Christianity says we don't got to walk up the mountain to get to God. God comes down off the mountain in the midst of us and relates and lives in our camp. And that's what's so awesome about the God that we serve. He, he remembers us. He remembers you. He remembers me. And He acts on it. He moves in it. And so, what we've been studying in the last three weeks is just the fact that He's risen. And we've been called from our risen Lord, the risen one, to move into a risen life. Because we need it. You see, my neighbors need it. My kids need to see the risen life. Whenever I turn on the six o'clock news, I need to see a risen life. Life is hard enough. And when we rest it and wrestle it from the God that has so much love and moves toward us, we take it away from Him and we live it on our own. We live more often than not the fallen life, the life down the mountain. And God's like, I'm coming to you. Will you allow me to live the risen life in you? And that's what we believe here. And I'm really excited, by the way, because next week we have the baptism, which I think is really cool, because we don't get baptized to get saved. We, we get baptized just to say, hey, I'm going under, and now I'm coming up in this new life. As Jesus went into the tomb, but then that stone couldn't hold him back, and he came out. And he called us to that same risen life. And so I'm really excited. See, the resurrection of Jesus declares that sin and death itself have been overcome. And it's easy for us to say that, but that's, that's huge. No one else has, come, has died and come back. See, we have a, a ratio of one to one. Everybody's going to die. Everybody. That's a, that's a ratio you can't beat. And, and there's no hearse tagging along behind the hearse is a U-Haul. Right? The pharaohs were the best at that, keeping all the people inside the tomb. And, but see, even at that time with the pharaohs, you know, you had all these grave robbers that would come in and they'd open these mass graves and, uh, of the pharaohs and they'd be already pilfered <laughs> because people were like, I'm going to get that stuff. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and the crazy thing is with Jesus is he didn't just go to the grave, he came out of the grave. And he came out of the grave to speak us out of the grave. And many of us, many of us, myself included, forget that. And so the cool thing is he calls us out so that we might partner with him in this risen life. That's what I'm excited about. See, this has been our focus in the past three weeks in the the book of Ephesians, that, that we have seen that God wants to raise us from the dead. And secondly, bring us ultimate purpose. It's not just a get out of jail free card. That many times we we, we see people saying, I I know God, and I'm one day gonna go to heaven. No. God is bringing you a purpose now. He's bringing heaven here, right now. It's a taste, and we have an opportunity to bring that taste to others. And lastly, give us a new life. I love that. I just love the fact... Ooh, I didn't like it. Shouldn't hit that again. Sorry, I get animated. It's who I am. Uh, So, hey, I won't be the only one standing right now. Let's have everybody stand on up, and we're going to go ahead and read from God's Word, okay? I get really excited about God's Word because there's so much good stuff in here. And the Apostle Paul here is, is speaking to the, the people at Ephesus, which now he's speaking to us. So let's start with verse 11, and we'll read to verse 22. Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, 
Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised or circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, keyword, please understand, Many times Christians, we're known for what we don't do. We're known for what we say no to as opposed to what we say yes to. And we need to emphasize the grace of God because that is exactly what the scriptures do. But now we are in Christ Jesus. But now we have a risen king and we have the opportunity to live a risen life. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the non-Jew and the Jew, all one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, verse 15, by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for breaking down walls. Lord, we are intentional today as the mission. We're intentional today with your word, which I am so inadequate to give, so inadequate to read. But Lord, you've come to me and you come to us. You walk down, you move toward us, you set up camp in our midst. And God, we know this because we see it. We know it because we have Resurrection Sunday. And you didn't just rise to say, peace out world, I'm done with you. (laughs) You rose to say, peace in you. That's what we need, Father. And so God, I just pray that as today we look at this scripture, you would touch our hearts, bring us to a place where we don't have to do anything but receive your grace and receive the risen one to live a risen life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, to live a new life, you see, I got three things here I just want to share really quick. Three things that are about remembering. As I said with my, you know, with my family, my remembering made me act, made me move in such a way with my calendar and with everything else. The same thing goes with, with as we remember what God has done, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, remember, remember this, remember that, remember this. Now, act, now move. And so we're going to look at three rememberings and then we're going to look at three movements. And that's as simple as it gets. So, to live a new life, first of all, we need to remember who we were before he called us to the risen life. Now, verse 12, this says this. This is the cheery part of of the passage, and I say that in jest. Remember that at at that time you were separate from Christ. You were segregated from, from holiness, from God, from Christ. Excluded, kept out, pushed out. 
from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope, without God. Cheery, right? Yay! (laughs) You were there way away. It was like the chasm of the Grand Canyon. He's on the other side. Good luck getting across. You see, what's interesting here, and I want to give you a little history, because Paul is all the time, you have to remember, Paul was Jewish, and he had the whole Old Testament memorized. He knew all the commentaries. He knew all the stuff. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees at one time. And so Paul, very much so when he's writing, he's illuminating those things which these people would need help in. They were from Ephesus. They were Gentiles, just like you and me, who weren't steeped in the stories of ancient times of the Jewish people. And so when he writes this, people would have stopped and said, wait a minute, what are you talking about, this dividing wall? What's this dividing wall of hostility? I don't understand that. And the Jewish people there would say, okay, let me tell you about the court. Let me tell you about the temple where we would go to meet God. You see, in the temple, there was this place called the the, the temple courts of the Gentiles. And this was the court of the Gentiles, which was the biggest court in the temple in Jerusalem. And, And this is where the most of the people would congregate. This is where, like, you and I would go, right? This is, if, I'm, if you're not born in the, in the tribe of Benjamin or the tribe of Dan or any of these tribes, as, as a Jewish person, you would go to this court to worship God. Now, after that court was the, the court of women. Now, the court of women was for Jewish women and Jewish men could go there. See, as a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, I could go to the court of Gentiles, I could go to the court of women, but... Then, after the court of women, was the court of men. And between the court of men and the court of women, and the court of Gentiles, I know there's a lot of courts there, who come to judge, right? So, we had the hostility wall. We had the wall, the dividing wall, that would mark or delineate between the women's court and the Gentiles' court, and the court of all those people that can get in. Only Jewish men. And so what we had is we had, you're not allowed. That's what we had. You see, as a Gentile, I would come there and go, hey, I want to go meet God. Yeah, you stay here. You stay here, don't you go any further. You see, and that massive wall would tell you that. <laughs> you didn't really have to go, hey, because uh, you just see this massive wall. And so you had a lot of people saying, what's up with the wall? Well, that's not for you. You're not allowed to get that close to God. That's what they would say. And so what was interesting about this is on that wall, they put in Greek big signs. And those signs would say this, whoever is captured, going past that wall, will have himself or herself to blame for his subsequent and imminent death. That's a pretty pretty nasty wall. You don't want to go past that wall. This is what it was. You see, the crazy thing about Jesus is when he comes and he... Because we have this story of him getting really upset when he goes into the temple. And, 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 if, and Jesus is like, you know, he's, he's just... On, he's on kind of like that holy rage moment and he's turning over tables because he's turning over tables in the court of Gentiles. And see, they've taken the court of Gentiles where God said to this people, come up and meet me and we're going to go out to the whole world. You're going to be a light to the world, salt to the earth. This was Old Testament stuff. This isn't New Testament. This is Old Testament. And what they did is they took the court of Gentiles and they made it into a place where they can sell overpriced popcorn like a movie theater. And the Gentiles were just the ones with the money that were going to pay for us cats to go in very selectively to meet God. And that's a no-no. Jesus was like, look what you've done, dividing between these people and this, and that's not right. And so the Apostle Paul is illuminating this, saying, remember that wall? Remember that wall that used to be there? For those of you that don't know, guess what? God smashed it. God took it out. God destroyed it. There is no more wall. There is no us and them. There is only 
the peace that Jesus brings to bring us together as one us. Because he comes to all people. And remember that you were once outside. You see, Jesus loves to smash walls. He's a wall breaker. Some of you have walls in your marriages. Some of you have walls at work. Some of you have walls emotionally. Some of you just cannot, in a relationship, get past that wall. And God comes along in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ and says, tear down them walls. Because there shall be no more walls between me and you. And yet we put up these walls. These are walls of hostility that divide us from the grace and the life that God indeed has for us. And so this Sunday, I'm really hoping in resurrection, he broke the only massive wall that we could never break, which is death. Death and sin. He broke those walls and he wants to partner us. So I really want to challenge you today. What are those walls that God's looking at you and wanting you to remember so that you know where you came from? So that you know what God has done. Now, we also need to remember the new, to live a new life. We need to remember who Jesus calls to live a risen life. You see, God doesn't just call some people. He calls all people. He does not just have one group in mind. Now, I remember when I was a kid... I was from a single family home with my mom and I had another friend who was also raised with his mom and his dad wasn't in the picture. So we were kind of like two punk kids, you know, with a lot of time in our hands because our moms were working and so I would go to his house and he always had Mountain Dew, which I thought was really cool. So I would chug Mountain Dew and me on Mountain Dew at that age was not a pretty thing. So I'd usually break something at his home and his mom would tell me not to come over for a month or whatever, but that's just the way it was because I was getting jazzed up, you know, on Mountain Dew. It was was my crime and I did it, so I'm sorry. I'm confessing it to you now. But um, one of the things my friend had is, is he had another friend who lived way up in Glendora at like the top house that was like the million dollar mansion house and his parents parents were super, super wealthy, so I never saw them. Um, and, and it was crazy because they had access to the Glendora Country Club, which I think is like $100,000 a year just to be a member. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like some expensive, exuberant amount of money that I had never even seen before. And he gave that code to get in to my buddy. And so here we were after school one day going, we've got the code. Let's go over to the Glendora Country Club. So we went in, and it was funny. We had our backpacks on, and, you know, I was wearing my thrift store clothes, and my buddy didn't look much better than me. And we're walking through, and they're just, like, eyeballing us. You know the adults? They're just kind of looking at us like, who are these two rapscallions, right? And I don't know why, but they were from 1920s, so they said rapscallions. But they just were. So, so they, 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 you know, they're looking at us like, and I swear I've never felt more out of place than when I was at this country club. But it was cool because we had the code. So we could go up and say, give me a cheeseburger with all the bacon you got and, and give me a shake. And we just ate like kings. And we did this for a long time. We kept doing this. And um, finally, my, my friend's friend told him, dude, you're abusing the code. My parents are going to find out. And I'm going to get in trouble because you're really not supposed to be there. So take it easy. So we were like, oh. And so we kind of just, I just remember though, that whole thing, we had to be really careful. And, and let me just say, the reason I bring this up is because many of you feel like me or felt like me when I was at that country club when it comes to God. He doesn't want me here. He's looking at me. 
He's eyeballing me. He's wondering why am I here? What am I doing? I'm a people group that's not supposed to be here. I should be out in that court away. No, Jesus broke that wall so that all people could be included. And he comes to all people. To all times. And this is the thing. We, when I was giving out stuff at at the um, market night, we were giving out, you know, passing out stuff. And I just was sitting there and I'm going, who do I give this to? Who do I give an invite to to church? And I was thinking, I should give it to all people. But then I was looking at some people and I'm like, oh no, they won't want to (laughs) come. Because that's just what I do. I'm a human being, but God never does that. God invites all people. He doesn't just say, not that person. And I was trying to be very intentional about giving it out to all people. And even I was like, "Uh, I'm struggling, God. I don't know who to give it to. And God just very lovingly said, give it to everyone, dummy. (laughs) Because everyone needs to come. Everyone needs to hear about me. Everyone needs to know I've come towards them. So, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. That, name, that word, that Greek word for world is cosmos. And I love this word because if some of you are, are, are wondering about this, that it means all the inhabitants of earth. It means every man, woman, and child. The human family. The whole mass of people who have been alienated from God. Jesus removed the wall so that all people can be called to live a risen life. Lastly, to live a risen life or a new life, we need to remember who he calls us now. Who does he call us now? See, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. See, and back then they would have gotten this. The people at Ephesus would have been like, oh, I understand that talk because we had the Romans who at that time were were, were giving out Pax Romana, which was peace under the point of a sword. And if you didn't didn't become a citizen or at least a sub-citizen, then you couldn't buy food, you couldn't buy property, you couldn't go anywhere without being cast out because you had to take the mark of the citizenship of Rome. And if you didn't have the mark good luck buying anything you can't get anything you can't go anywhere you can't come through the city gates you can't get any privilege and if you were an ultra citizen if you were born a citizen then you really had the heads up you could you had you got the benefit of getting a trial you got the benefit of all these things that most people couldn't get and so when paul here is saying you're a citizen of god you get it You get the whole ball of wax. You get it all. Built on the foundation of the apostle and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You're members of his household. You see, notice how he says you are and not you will be. This is so important because this is why we need to see how he calls us now. Paul, 216 times in his letters, say, you are in Christ. Not you will be, you are in Christ now. And that is all the difference. That semantic, that verbiage is so important that we grasp that because it is not about us, it's about him and being in him now. He doesn't tell us to clean up. He doesn't say, now go out, do these five things, then come back to me. No, he says, you are now in Christ You are a child of the king. You are risen from the dead. You have a new purpose and the hope of a new life today. Now, when I got married to my beautiful wife, there were some things that I forgot about. One of them was that I was married. What do I mean by that? Okay, because some of you are having wild thoughts of imagination going on. Let me explain this. I was a waiter. I had about five jobs when we got married, and so I was working all the time, and I would be working and working and working, and the boss would say, hey, you're going to stay late because I need you to work. And I would go, okay, sure, and I would just wait, work late. And then I would get home like an hour or two late, and she'd be like, where were you? 
It's like, oh, I had to work late. Well, why didn't you call me, dummy? Oh, yeah, I forgot I was married. <laughs> the other thing I would do, and I'm known for this, I would go to Costco. I always get lured in at Costco. Man, that is just a trap for the dumb, and that's me, okay? I'm dumb. And they go, what you really need is this leaf blower that's attached with a mulcher, and you need to get this. And I would go, oh, I need to get it. And so I'd buy it, and I'd bring it home and go, look what I got. She'd go, how much do you spend on that? I'd go, oh, you know, dollars, you know? And then she'd be like, why didn't you talk to me? Go and return it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot I was married. Because it wasn't just my money anymore, it was our money. And for the sake of a happy relationship, we needed to talk about things. It's not like she controlled the money and she was just, but it's our money. And she's got it earmarked for for bills and other things, and I didn't know that. So what I do, I just go spend it because I'm not married. Oh, wait, I'm married. I forgot. That was me. I would plan my calendar. This was a big one. Oh, so-and-so, you need to do this. Okay, I'll be there. And I would do it. And all of a sudden, that day would come. And I'd be like, I'm going over. And I'd be going out the door. And she'd be like, where are you going? And she'd oh, I said I was going. Why didn't you talk to me? Today is our child's birthday. I'd be like, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's our birthday. Okay. I forgot I was married. I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but you've been there. Right? And unfortunately, we can't tell the cop, oh, I forgot the rules. <laughs> I forgot the law. No, but sometimes we do. And, and see, what's so crazy about this is God comes to us and says, I never forget how much I love you. I never forget how much I sent my son, and I've never forgotten you. I will not sleep. I will not slumber. I have a plan. I have a purpose for you, and you are the one that forgets. But I am grace-filled, and I will continually try to help you remember. And this is why in the Old Testament, he's continually saying to the children of Israel, remember what I have done. Remember who you're called to be. Remember what I have given you to live. Remember. And we go, oh yeah, I forgot. It's just the way it is. And so the important thing that we need to do is we are called to remember so that we act. Amen? Because if we remember, then we move. Oh, I remember that I'm married. I should call my wife. In fact, the thing I used to do to remember, I used to have in my wallet, kid you not, in my ATM card, I had a little sleeve and I'd take that sleeve out to use it and on the sleeve said, call Kim to make sure this is okay. Now again, I'm not doing that because she's like Miss Taskmaster on the money, but it's like she this is her money too. She's contributing to the pile, and it's our pile, not just my pile, right? So I needed to check that. And that's just what I did. And I had to do that. See, and sometimes I forget. I forget God's truth. I forget that God is calling me to a risen life. And then I yell or I act in a certain way, and then later I go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you've called me to a risen life. See, maybe you're struggling in your life right now. In your relationships, you have forgotten that you've been united to Christ and your relationships have walls that Jesus is dying to break down. Maybe in your own physical struggles with addiction or, or, or those physical things that you just cannot get, you just get in the way and you're over your head. You know, Jesus... Jesus is great at breaking down those walls. In your finances, you've forgotten, and now they're way out of control. And the wave of debt seems to crash against those walls. That, and, and, and Jesus is like, that's, that's a wall I can break. I can calm that storm. 
Maybe it's with your kids and how you've been raising them or not raising them or how you were raised as a kid. Maybe you were neglected and abused and there's just this massive wall. One of my favorite bands is Pink Floyd because they have this whole album dedicated to the wall and the wall is all those things that people do to us. And we can't get past it. And the wall is too high. And the wall is too massive. And we are a product of this wall in our life that will never come down. And how do we scale that wall? We can't, but Jesus Christ can. We have the power of the risen one. You see, Jesus didn't come down and said, mm-hmm, roll up my sleeves, here's some God power. No, what he did is he said, Lord, I can't do this unless you give it to me through the power of the Spirit. And that same Spirit is in you who believe on Jesus Christ. And he says, now you will do what I did. In fact, you'll do greater things under the power of the Holy Spirit because I am in you just as the God, the Father, was in me. So awesome. So what now? What now? Well, again, we remember so that we can move as risen ones to act as God did for us through His Son, Jesus. First thing, we need to receive the grace that God has given to us through Jesus, the risen one. We need to receive it. See, to the same degree that we remember how hard it truly was when the wall was there, as God breaks it down, if we remember that wall, that same degree... Or similar is how we will live out our life. Now, I know I, con- I confounded that a little bit, so let me help you with this. Because I need to help myself. See, the degree that we remember how hard it truly was for us before the risen life is similar to the degree that we will live this out in our life today. You see, there's this awesome story, and this is what I love about Jesus, because he doesn't just tell us, he shows us. In Luke chapter 7, there's all these religious elites, the bigwigs, the mighty like Pharisee group and Sadducee group who had all the money, all the power, and all the God, and kept it for themselves and said, you guys over there. And they invite Jesus over to their pad, and they're kicking it, and they treat Jesus like just another guy. And Jesus doesn't sit there and go, you horrible people. No, he goes in and he's there because he's, he goes to all people, even these religious elites, these scumbags, sorry. But you know, they're treating him badly. And, and, and there's this lady that, that somehow gets into that group. Now you can imagine, here's this big old like bastion of these big wigs, right? These, these, these real hyper-religious guys who are all about being awesome and good and God loves me more than he loves you because I'm awesome in him. And this one woman somehow gets in and she's a prostitute. And she's someone that when she came into that home, defiled that home. And so those guys could not go and do worship in the inner court for whole seven days because she was in the same room as them. And she knows this, but she doesn't let that keep her from going. Why? Because she needs to receive the grace of God. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you need to go clean up. No, she comes, she sits right at his feet, and she begins to weep and cry with the amount of sin that she knows in her life, with the amount of how she's just not lived a good life, not lived the perfect life, and how much she is different and set apart from God, how big her wall is, it's big, it's massive. People in her life that have hurt her and abused her, people in her life that have beat her and treated her like such a horrible person, she believed it, she lived it, she embraced that wall. And what happens is Jesus says, I love you, and I want to break that wall down. 
And she proceeds to weep and take her hair down, which is a huge symbol of that day. And she uses her hair, which would have gotten her clients, because a woman in that day did not show her hair unless she was a prostitute. And she takes that hair down and she uses it to wash Jesus' feet and dry his feet with her hair. Because he says, those who have sinned much, those who have really big walls, love much. Know how much they need me. And she knew she needed him. And the crazy thing is, those crazy guys sitting back were like, Ah, I can't believe she's here. I can't believe she did this. And if Jesus was a real prophet, if he was a real rabbi, he would know that she was screwed up. Yeah, Jesus knew. And Jesus received it. And Jesus wants to receive you in all your stuff. Receive his grace and know that there are no walls that are bigger than what he can take down. He's got you. See, death couldn't hold him back, but we can always turn our back on him. That's the crazy thing about God. And you don't get any bigger symbol in all of the world today than the cross. Please receive his grace. Our prayer is that today you will choose to follow him and receive him. And the new life can be in you. Now secondly, we need to reach out to all people around us as Jesus would. Again, if you haven't received God's grace, this is not for you. You can't reach out like Jesus did because we have Jesus in us and through us as we receive his grace. He wants to give it out. This is reaching out. And some of you guys get this. You're like, I get reaching out, but there's always those one people that you don't want to reach out to. I have that. As I said, when I was at the the market night, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if that guy wants it. I'll give it to this person, but not that person. Because we always do that. We just do. And maybe there's that one neighbor, or maybe there's that one cousin, or maybe there's that, you know what I'm talking about. There's always that one person. But see, maybe it's like this. Maybe you're like, hey, I reach out to all people, but man, I'm busy. This is what happens so much of the time. We get so busy in our jobs, we get so busy in our families, we get so busy in the stuff that we are not prioritizing the resurrected and risen life through us and what God would have us do. We can't reach out. Our hands are are holding all of our stuff, holding all of our time, holding all of our calendar, holding all of... You get what I'm saying? And God says, you need to reach out. And let me just say, if you have a job that keeps you from reaching out, get a new job. I mean it. Get a new job. If you're going to school, there was a time when I was going to school, I had an honor scholarship, and I don't say this to brag, it's just because I tried. I worked my butt off, and I was going to APU free of charge, and I had six jobs at the same time. I was taking six classes, and I had three little kids, and I was crazy, and I didn't have enough time to meet my family's needs. And my wife came to me and said, if something doesn't change, you're going to have to come to the insane asylum where I will be and comb my hair. Because someone needs to do it, because I'm going to be bonkers and bananas. Because I need help. And that's when God really convicted me. He said, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to reach out to my own family. And I had to stop. And I went and cleaned toilets at a pizza place and gave up my scholarship and gave up everything so I could pay the bills. Now, I don't say that to brag. That was the hardest thing I ever did in my life, but I did it. Why? Because I couldn't even reach my own family. So don't let busyness keep you from that. Because we're created to love God and love others. And if you can't do that because of your schedule, please, please change your schedule. Now, what is keeping you from reaching out? Lastly, we need to let Jesus live a resurrected life through us. We can't just believe in our heads that Jesus was rose from the dead, but every day we need to have him rise in us. This is so simple, and yet a lot of times we say, get out of the way, Jesus. Um, 
I got this. I'm just not going to sin today. Or I'm just going to be a good person today. Or I'm going to do this today. And that's missing it. That's missing it. I, I, I've been there. No, God says, let me, let me live through you. Let me help you today. You see, when he said, I'm going to leave you guys, and he's talking to his disciples he said, in John 15, but he says, I'm going to send someone to you called the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, and I have him in me, and he's been helping me, and that's how I do all the things I do, is because I'm attached to God, and you can become attached to God. In fact, when you are attached to me in the vine, you get all the juice, all the life, everything you need through me, and that's what he's saying we need to do. If we're going to live the risen life, we have to be attached to Jesus. So I guess, if Jesus is rising in you, shouldn't your family life look different than the other families in the block? Because Jesus couldn't go anywhere without looking different as he was attached to God. And one thing I was convicted about as a youth pastor is I saw so many families come into the church, so many kids come to me, and sometimes those kids, you couldn't tell the difference between them and the kids at school who were on drugs. And these kids have been growing up in church their whole life. And then I start, and, and what was interesting is as they started getting prayer, they, they said, oh, my mom and dad have been going to this church for 20 years. And then they, they would say how much they despise their mom and dad for being such hypocrites. And I'm thinking, what's the difference between them and the atheists down the street? I, I don't get it. If we're to live a risen life, we're to live a risen life. There's supposed to be a difference. There was no difference. And I was convicted. Here I was a pastor, and yet my life didn't always show it. <laughs> my life didn't show the risen life. And this is the point. If Jesus is rising in you, how will you be at work as you are tempted to grumble and complain? Or tempted to crush the other guy, because after all, it's business. Or will you have a resurrected attitude of new life, gentleness, and truth? Now, I sometimes think the best stories are our own story because that's what God's doing in this. And let me just tell you about my downfall at the restaurant that I had with a manager who was like Gordon Ramsay on crack. If you've ever seen Gordon Ramsay, one of his best lines is, is this, this steak is so red, it's still eating. It's still eating grass. Anyway... Sorry, if you didn't get that, I apologize. But he would, yeah, he yells at people. He's screaming. He's angry. But then Gordon Ramsay does this thing where he's like, he's really nice to people, and everyone's like, oh, Gordon Ramsay actually is nice sometimes, you know. And he's really nice, and he'll do something for him. I had a manager that was like that, but was never nice. So he was just like Gordon Ramsay. He would scream at me. He would yell at me. I was one of the best waiters there. Now, I'm not that I, I'm not bragging. I just had been a waiter for a long time, and I loved to wait on tables, and and it was just something I did, and I was good at it. And and I just remember this guy came in, and everything I did was wrong. I literally would be walking, and I'd come back, and he's like, "You walk stupid. How do you walk stupid? How, how do you? Well, do I have a draw on my walk? You know, I don't know. I mean, hey, I'm stupid when I walk. You know, I mean, just stupid. I don't know." It's just the way it was. And he would make fun of me. He would, he would yell at me and he would scream at me. And all the other employees, he kind of did that too. And so I remember I was back in, in the back in the galley where us, us waiters would, would hang out because he wasn't there. And we would talk about him and how evil he was and how stupid he was and how we wanted to put poison in his, in his drink. So, you know, we would just do that. And I just remember grumbling and complaining and being so angry. And that's when God said, what are you doing? Because I was just acting like everybody else. And I'm like, wait a minute. If this is real, if this is true, then isn't it true and real today in my life? And I honestly, I was convicted and I, I went home and I just went, you know what, Lord? 
I'm sorry. And, and, but let me just tell you something, Lord. I don't like this guy. In fact, if he were to die today, I would kind of be happy. And I didn't mean that to be cruel. I just meant that to be real. This guy was a big thorn in my side. He made my life miserable. And I said, God, if you're going to call me to a risen life, then you've got to live it through me. And he said, finally, you get it. So I went back and I said, God, I don't want to be nice to him. And he said, I know, but I can be nice to him through you. So let me. And I said, okay, Lord, give me the strength. So I went and made him his drink that he liked, which I never did. And I got him, I think it was a Diet Coke. And I got him Diet Coke and I, I gave it to him. And he's like, yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? He was just mean. He's like, yeah, yeah, you serve me, you know. And then, I mean, he still yelled at me. I mean, and I, I just continued to talk with him. I told him I wanted to pray for him. I mean, he really didn't like that. But I, but I told him I, I just, you know, I was friendly to him. And it wasn't my friendliness. It was God working through me. And I'll tell you, it was a year and I just kept working on him. And he still acted like he hated me. But then finally, God called me to, to leave that restaurant. And I remember telling him I was leaving. He started to cry. He was crying. And I'm like, I was taken aback and I'm like, um, I'm sorry I'm leaving. And he's like crying like he literally cared for me. I was shocked. And he was like, oh, okay, well, well, I got to go. And he walked back and I just remember going, this guy actually liked me. And I'm like, oh no, he likes Jesus, not me. <laughs> I can't even take the credit for that because I'm not a likable guy. It was Jesus in me. But the point was like he saw that. And when I left, he, he literally, I remember him going, I want to go to your church. Because he saw a difference. He didn't see a wall in my life. He saw Jesus. Do me a favor. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. I want to invite the worship team up here. I know there's walls in our life. I have them. I still have them. God's wanting to have peace in us and through us. But we can't do that unless we receive His grace. So my prayer today is that you receive His grace. Not because you're good enough, but because He is all good. This is not a mountain you've got to climb. This is just allowing Jesus, who's come down the mountain, into your life. There's no magic formula. It honestly is just receiving Him as your Lord and your Savior. My hope, my prayer, is that afterwards, we're going to have a little prayer time in the back by the sound booth back there with those awesome guys back there. there there's going to be some people, prayer partners, that just want to pray with you. If you want to make a decision, I don't want you to have to stand up and do all these crazy things. Just come back there. We'll talk. Because this could be the most important day of your life where you finally say, I'm done living this way. I want to live the risen life. It's as simple as that. Now, as an act of worship, we're going, to take, uh, we're, going to, we're going to take offering right now. But in that offering, if you're new here, please don't give. You don't have to give. If you feel led to give, go ahead. That's great. But this isn't a time for you to give money to God so God likes you. If that's your case, keep your money. He doesn't want it. He wants to give to you. He wants you to feel the reach of His Son Jesus as you receive His grace to live that resurrected life. If you have questions, if you, anything, you come talk to us. We want a journey together. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. Lord, it's, it's our spiritual act of worship to offer ourselves. And as, you, as your apostle says in, in Romans chapter 12, he says, he says, therefore, offer your bodies who you are, 
all of who you are, the good and the bad, as living sacrifices to the one who gave all. This is worship. May we give ourselves as your son gave to us. Lord, we love you and we bless you. I pray that people come to know you and see that you are alive because you've risen and you want to rise in us every day. And we thank you for this truth. We thank you for this fact. And it's because of your name we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.